As always, a big thank you to Myra Green for her music, her composition, Passing Places. You can find out more about Myra Green and her music at myragreen.com or pop onto my own website, bonnytours.com, and follow the story from there. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of Passing Places. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. And if you're new to Passing Places, I usually say every week it's my personal diaries of my travels around Scotland, mainly by motorhome, but also by motorcycle, and with some hill walking thrown in for good measure. So I think I'm going to call episode 39 the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in fairness to you, the listener, I'll spend 80 or 90% of the episode talking about the good. And the good news is I'm back in my van. I'm indebted to my brother-in-law, Dermot, who a week ago today picked me up in Stirling and took me up to Perth, and I managed to pick my van up. And my intention was to head off on that day and probably head over to the west, but it was an absolutely awful day, really torrential rain and low mist and windy, and so I basically took the van back to storage, and the warden at the campsite of the caravan park was kind enough to give me a lift back home. So then I thought I'll head off on the Thursday, even though the podcast was due, and then I decided I would head down to Moffat on the Friday and record an episode from there. So before we talk about Moffat, which is the the bad in terms of the episode title, uh, before I picked the van up the the weekend just before that, I was down in Helensburg on the Saturday with my daughter. Found myself in Helensburg, and if you know your map of Scotland, it's on the north bank of the Clyde, quite far down the Clyde, just before you hit the whole uh, Argyll and Butte and Cowell Peninsula and the Firth of Clyde. And I thought I'd uh, talk a little bit about Helensburg, not much, but it's a place that I normally just pass through. But it's worth a mention because if you're coming over the Erskine Bridge and your intention, like most people, is to head up Loch Lomond side, it is worth considering going down through Helensburg. If you remember Joyce and Carlo from Boston during last year's holiday, they ended up in Helensburg and they headed up the side of Loch Long to Arachor. And it's a nice little detour on a, a clear day with good visibility because you will see the sea lochs and the Arachor Alps and it's less uh, congested or busy uh, compared to the 82 up the side of Loch Lomond. So I sometimes go down that way just for a change, although I wouldn't normally stop in Helensburg. The one place I would recommend in Helensburg itself is the Hill House. It's a house that was designed by Charles Rennie Mackintosh, the famous architect and designer. I think it was built just around uh, the turn of the 20th century, 1904 or something. And not only did he design the house, but most of the furnishings and decoration inside is also Charles Rennie Mackintosh. And it's a timeless type of design, really. still is very appealing today, so that's worth a visit as a little detour. And rewinding the tape even further, it got me to thinking about when I was in Helensburg. As I say, I don't normally stop, but it's quite depressing. A lot of times now how they've lost their heart to out-of-town shopping and uh, I notice Helensburgh, even Helensburgh now has a Waitrose so if you want to experience what uh, used to be termed in the water 
people for over a hundred years used to leave the industry of the central belt and sail down the Clyde and paddle steamers or take the train down to places like Craig and Dorn, which is uh, uh, or used to be a big a big uh, hub where the trains met the steamers and people went for a, a day trip uh, somewhere around the Cal Peninsula or perhaps to places like Dunoon and Rothsey and even further afield up to Tinnabruich and some of these uh, boats actually sailed all the way around up Loch Fyne to Inverary and places like Tarbert and Loch Fyne. And in its heyday, which was throughout the 1800s and right up to the 1950s, in fact, the the number of uh, Clyde steamers was around 300 ships. And I just can't get that out of my head. The number of ships sailing around the Clyde, mostly for leisure. Most of them were part of the, the tourism of the area. And it covered from the working classes getting their their day off and getting down to the beaches and places like Helensburgh and beyond. But it also served every type of traveller right through to the very wealthy. Some of these ships were um, serving the best of food and it was people, Victorian, uh, people, industrial industrialists who had estates and the West Coast were using these steamers as part of their journey or their grand tour in the tradition of Queen Victoria. So you had boats that were serving champagne. And I saw a, a menu from one of these boats the other day online and it was a bottle of Moe Shongdon was uh, 10 bob, 10 shillings. That was around uh, 1890 or something. So it's amazing that opulence that was ongoing in the Clyde while the people who built the ships were living in uh, relative poverty or absolute poverty probably in terms of the housing and lack of sanitation. So, But the Clyde in its heyday compared to places like Helensburgh now, Craig and Dorn, which is just as you come into Helensburgh where this new waitress is, used to have five, five platforms and people came off the trains in their hundreds if not thousands and joined the steamers to take them to Dunoon and Rothsey and beyond. And uh, all of that died with the advent of the package holiday as people decided to head off to the Costa del Sol. And uh, if only we'd managed at the time to do some sort of exchange and get these poor blighters in Spain and in the Med to escape the heat and see these wonderful sea locks around the west coast of Scotland, we might have still managed to retain the infrastructure because it's only a matter of time before people turn around and say, well, why haven't we got proper trains and ferries that actually do sailing? We've still got the the Waverley, the last ocean-going or sea-going paddle steamer. But 300 of these steamers were plying their trade around the Clyde. So the reason I mention all that and ramble on is even before you cross the Erskine Bridge, an alternative to going up Loch Lomondside or taking in Helensburgh is to just stay on the M8 and go right down to Greenock and uh, to Gourock. You can pick up the ferry from Gourock over to Dunoon or you can go through Gourock a little bit further and pick up the western 
ferry service from just outside Guruk. And that'll take you over to Hunter's Key, which is just outside Dunoon. And you can then from Dunoon or Hunter's Key, you could head up the side Loch Eck and take an Inverary and Loch Fine. Or you could go around the Kells of Butte. You could make a visit to Butte itself and Rothsey. And you can connect with the ferries over to um, Tarbert on the Mull of Kintyre. And you can also take in um, places like Arn if you wanted to. In fact, if you didn't take the Western Ferries, you could go right round the coastline and down to places like, um, I think, Skelmersley. You can pick up the ferry over to Butte. Or go down to Adrossen and pick up the ferry to Arn. And then, again, connect to some of the further... Uh, places on the west coast so if you want a a taste of sailing in the Firth of Clyde and around the Kells of Butte then that would be a, a quicker introduction to the fabulous scenery of Scotland rather than uh, following a, a coach or cars or caravans or even one of those big, big uh, white motorhomes up the side of uh, Loch Lomond so I certainly recommend that as an alternative. Within an hour or so of leaving Glasgow, you're out on deck enjoying a fantastic scene, great mountains, and uh, the joy of being out sailing on the Firth of Clyde. So that's a little uh, positive note to end on in terms of Helensburgh. And finally, before I leave the Argyle coastline, I just uh, indebted to David Church, one of my regular listeners who put a, a link on my Facebook page to the Tarbert uh, Traditional Boat Festival, which is on this year. It was on last year too, but I think it's on around June time. And I had a look at the website, and it looks like a great event. And Tarbert is, and the Mullican Tire is a great place. It's one of my favourite uh, locations. I love the whole Mullican Tire because it's so quiet. But Tarbert really makes an effort to attract people in through or across the year. And I have been to the music festival, which usually comes, I think, towards the end of the summertime, into September. But now they have a whole range of festivals on throughout the year. So there's a website, as well as this traditional boat festival, which I think, from memory, David said was in June, the Tarbert, Tarbert Festivals, UK, I think it's called, gives you a list of all the festivals that are on and there's a book festival I think there's a film festival a seafood festival uh, and there's also even a, a a Christmas fair so you can find out all the dates there and I'd certainly recommend a, a visit to Tarbert it's a lovely little fishing village it's a nice setting so thanks for that David and while I'm just mentioning listeners I wanted to mention the newsletter Andrew Warnock was asking if the if he'd missed a newsletter because he'd subscribed. And if I'm honest, Andrew, and everybody listening, I've set the newsletter service up, but I haven't yet published a newsletter. It's another thing on my to-do list, and I'm still trying to decide what I can put in the newsletter. An obvious thing would be some of my blog posts, but I'm not sure how many people follow the blog on the website. But if you have any ideas as a listener, what you would like to get by way of additional content or questions you have, just let me know and I'll try and develop the newsletter as we go forward. And finally, I wanted to thank Tej Darwan. hope I've got his pronunciation right. Uh, Tej has a blog 
And I'll give you his blog address. It's T-E-J-D-H-A-W-A-N.com. And he left a, a link to a blog post. A post that he had written about the Old Forge, the pub and inn at uh, Neudart. And it's recognised as the most remote pub in Britain. And the Neudart Peninsula, you've got to get around by a little boat from Malig. Uh, so it makes it's a, an effort to get there. And you get the benefit of that additional sense of isolation. And it's a great place. You know, you get that uh, sense when you arrive that the people have made a real effort to get to Neudart. And there's not only a vibrant community who are really doing well in Neudart, but all sorts of visitors from all over the world. And the food and the crack and the old forge is really worth the effort. So thoroughly recommended. Not a place I can get to with the van, but I've been before and I can't... uh, I can't uh, recommend it highly enough and uh, have a look at uh, Teji's um, blog site and uh, keep up the good work. Um, I'll definitely keep in touch with your blog. So after my trip on the Saturday to Helensburgh, I had a grand scheme to go down to Falkirk, which isn't that far from Stirling, 20 minutes or so, and visit the new Helix Park and the development of the the Kelpies, which is a new sculpture, and the redevelopment of the canal basin. It's just adjacent to the M9. And I've been watching this over the last year, and I was sort of led to believe that the project had been completed. But in reality, it's not going to be finished and fully open to the public for a couple of months. So I went down on the Monday, which is a week. Uh, last Monday, I waited for a good weather day and I went down in the morning because I wanted the the low light shining on these new sculptures. And I've put a post on my website at bonnytours.com, a picture of the Kelpies. And the Kelpies are two huge horsehead stainless, st- stainless steel, certainly steel sculptures. And a really dramatic, uh, striking um, sculpture. And as I say, they've still to finish off all the landscaping and remove the port cabins and JCBs and things. And there are fences up, so I couldn't get anywhere near. And my plan was to make a a video. I normally make a video, spend a couple of hours and probably take something like 500 or 800 photographs. And from there, I managed to get a five-minute video. And I also wanted to do a, a podcast episode. But I could only really get one shot of the Kelpies from some distance. So I've posted that on my website and probably spent about half an hour, an hour down at the Helix Park. And it's a, a wetland area as well as the canal towpath area, as well as there's going to be a visitor centre, cafe. And as I say, these two sculptures, they're probably about uh, 30 metres tall each, 300 tonnes of steel. And the sculptor Andy Scott, you might have seen the Clydesdale horse on the M8 he was commissioned to do the sculpture and he took his inspiration from the mythical Celtic um, creature, the Kelpie, which is a, a horse which haunts Scotland's rivers and lochs. And the story, I think, goes along the lines that it uh, it uh, basically leads you to your drowning. It tempts you into the, the water. 
And there's usually a female angle, as always, that uh, you're tempted by a woman and you end up drowning. And some pretty uh, horrible stories about children being led to their drownings by Kelpies. So that was part of his inspiration. But he really took the main theme as the idea of the, the horse and its place in the Industrial Revolution, particularly in places like the canals where the, the big heavy horse breeds like the Clydesdales pulled all the the canal boats, which were laden with coal and other raw materials. These two horse heads were in recognition of the the part the horses played in the whole industrial landscape of Scotland. And even, I'm told, the rather national drink, which is made from girders, iron brew, the, the carts used to be pulled around the streets in Glasgow by Clydesdale horses. So if you're on the M9 heading north or south, you'll suddenly see these two huge horse heads just off the motorway. And I'm desperate to go back down again. I put my photograph on Google Plus and the Kelpies project got in touch because I'd mentioned that the motorway uh, sound might actually blight the whole experience. And they've said that they're working on acoustic screening. So I'm looking forward to see what that... uh, I say see what that looks like, perhaps see what it sounds like. And I'm intending to go back down again in a couple of months, uh, hopefully midweek or just before it opens uh, to the public and spend the time to make the video and perhaps record an episode, hopefully maybe even meet somebody from the project and interview them. So uh, I recommend the Kelpies, really is a dramatic um, sculpture. And as always, there are critics. There are people who love them and people that loathe them. I'm not sure if they're going to weather to the sort of rusty brown colour of the Angel of the North. I hope not. They're really amazingly striking in the sunshine when the sun hits these almost silver heads and the scale of them and the, 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 the drama almost in the the horse heads, the way they're sculpted is... Anyway, you have to go and have a look yourself. I think I've... Uh, <laughs> I think I've gone on and on about it long enough. So, yeah, it's great to have the van back. And I've got all sorts of expectations to be spending uh, the majority of the time in the van this year to travel around Scotland... And here's where the the good moves on to the bad. I, for years and years and years through work, and I suppose moving up through different jobs and into management, have lived with the scourge of planning. And I've always been conscious that people, particularly at a more senior level, spend inordinate amounts of time on strategy and strategic uh, documents. And yet I always found there were too many followers and not enough leaders. And when I left work, my absolute desire was to stop this damn planning and just go with the flow, be spontaneous, relax, enjoy things. So many times plans are never uh, realised anyway. And uh, all that nonsense that the marketeers and people tell you about a failure to plan uh, is a plan to fail. <laughs> Just uh, for me, that's absolute drivel. 
Uh, I just knew what I wanted to do and I went and did it. And uh, I was never happier when I was actually out doing what I wanted to do. So perhaps uh, we're all followers in reality because I don't uh, in any way suggest I was a leader. I always did what I wanted to do. So if you get into retirement, I think a key thing is to follow your dreams, follow your own inspirations, follow your own uh, thoughts and views and what you like to do and don't uh, dither by making plans and don't allow other people to control what you do. You know, you'll find that increasingly you'll get fed up with the package holidays. You'll get fed up waiting in queues to board aeroplanes. You get fed up waiting to check in at the tail with the rest of the coach and you'll just maybe realise that travelling is about a little bit of drifting in the wind and being spontaneous and being lazy and perhaps at times driving for hours and hours and end and then at other times eh, making random decisions. So I decided to, and this is where the bad comes in, I decided to go down to Moffat for two or three days and I phoned up and I booked the site, even though I knew that at this time of year there was no need to book it. And uh, I arrived down in Moffat on the Friday. Weather was pretty poor, raining and dull. And I ended up on the campsite. And it's, to be fair to the Moffat campsite, it's as good as any of the other caravan and camping club um, sites. I was sitting in this field in the van... Uh, looking out the window at the other motorhomes, even a few caravans, which was surprising. And most of them have got the, the TVs on. We're all sitting in a field. Four o'clock, it's getting dark and it's raining. I'm thinking, right, this is a great plan. I've decided to come down and sit in a field for a couple of days. And I was trying to think, why why did I want to come back to Moffat? Because it's a nice little town and there's a few things that I like to do around that area. And I also wanted to get an episode out, so I started to record an episode and it got to, I think, nine or ten o'clock at night and I'd recorded the this episode and had a couple of gin and tonics and I actually wasn't feeling that great. And when I played the episode back, I suddenly realised the audio was just not, not right. I'd left the mixer, the mixing desk at home and for the first time, and I say hand in heart the last time, I tried to use the laptop to record straight into software. And laptops are a complete compromise from start to finish. The quality of the sound card or the audio interface is pretty dreadful. And uh, it just it just didn't work. I wasn't uh, at all happy with the quality of the recording. So I, I just took to my bed and I woke up on Saturday morning and realised that I was unwell. You can probably hear it or you've heard it throughout this episode. I woke up with a really, uh, the start of a, a chest infection and a bronchial cough. And uh, I thought, right, um, in this field, it's cold, it's wet, it's raining. I'd run out of gas very quickly on the Friday evening. I didn't want to disturb anybody. So I'd spent the whole night with electric fire on. So my throat was as dry as sandpaper. So I got myself a gas bottle and I got the gas on and I got under a duvet and decided I'd sweat this uh, cold out before it got too bad. But I was like one of these exoplanets that wasn't in the Goldilocks zone. The, the, the gas fire was far too hot. And uh, when I put the electric fire on, it was far too dry. And I was completely, I just couldn't get comfortable. 
And I'd sort of had half a notion that my brother was thinking of coming down and introducing me to the joys of metal detecting. I thought that might be quite a good laugh for the podcast. Uh, there's some land that he has permission to do some metal detecting on near Moffat. So we're going to go and do a beep, beep, beep and have a, a look for some uh, gold and some silver and some treasure. And uh, maybe we'd have found some nails. I don't know, but that was the half a plan. But on the Saturday, I just felt absolutely awful. And on Sunday morning, I phoned him. Uh, spoke to him on the phone in the early morning. I was on Skype. And it was still raining. It was about five degrees. And by then, my uh, chest... Uh, I had this chest infection. And I thought, I'm not, I can't stand in a field up the hills all day in the rain. So we, we postponed that for another day. And I booked another night at the campsite and spent another 24 hours under the duvet and uh, ran for home on the Monday to a hot bath and ended up in bed on the Monday. So the good is having the van back. The bad was the weekend in Moffat. I didn't get any of the joys of Moffat. I'd hoped to visit what used to be a really great cafe for breakfast and I realised it was probably four or five years ago that was in this cafe and it's now closed so nothing went right in Moffat <laughs> and I'd also hoped to drop in at the Lead Hills or Warnock Head area and just visit Scotland's Eyes Village and visit the um, the mining museum and do all sorts of things but <laughs> in reality and I'm sure we've all done this uh, the weekend was a disaster I drove down to Moffat Sat in the field for two or three days, burnt some gas, felt totally uncomfortable and came home. And as I say, the audio was was like, it sounded like frying bacon underwater. So the episode didn't even go out on the Friday. So the whole uh, escapade is best forgotten. <laughs> that that episode will never be published. So I'm, I'm still trying to get rid of this uh, bronchial cough. Uh, definitely on the mend today. So if I sound like Shrek... Um, that's why, and uh, it can only get better. I suppose I, I should explain that the ugly was the bronchial cough, just to be sure. Uh, that's <coughs> <coughs> so yes, the, the ugly is the bronchial cough, so that's that's not been a great weekend. The I'm hanging on to the good, that I've got the van and I can get out from here on in, and daylight-wise already. We've got uh, 50 minutes extra daylight since the shortest day on the 21st of December. How good is that? And it's getting better every day. So I was lying in my bed feeling like uh, death on Monday. And my final, I suppose, positive thing, I don't know if you follow the astronomy in the way I do, but I've been following the the Rosetta mission for years. And uh, I need to put in a wee bit of astronomy because it does tickle me. The Rosetta mission was launched by the European Space Agency in 2004 and I was surprised in some way it even made the news on Monday because it's been totally ignored by the media for, for years. But uh, Rosetta was launched in 2004 to rendezvous with a comet in 2014 and the scientists who put this mission together had been working on it for 15 years. So there are people who have dev devoted their entire scientific career to this spacecraft. And unlike the NASA spaceships, which have a some form of radioactive isotope type uh, 
power source that allows them to travel to the outer reaches of the solar system. The Europeans only have uh, solar panels. So the poor Rosetta missions had to do umpteen uh, slingshots around Earth and one around Mars to get the velocity and the trajectory right to get out to rendezvous with this comet. And it's been so far out over the last two years that they've had to sh- they had to shut down the entire spaceship and leave an alarm clock on. <laughs> and uh, they went to wake the, the spacecraft up on Monday of this week. And I put it on live on the internet in this campsite in Moffat at 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I realised that there was, no, there was no story at 10 in the morning because the it wasn't as if they were sending a message because the spacecraft had been shut down two years before. They were basically sitting at 10 o'clock knowing that that was when the spacecraft should be bringing itself back to life. It wasn't going to be till the evening, late afternoon, early evening, that the spacecraft would actually send its first message back, assuming it woke up. So I was lying in bed with my iPad watching the live video feed from the European Space Agency and uh, half an hour watching this little graph before the the signal finally came through and of course the whole place erupted and uh, I just find the whole thing wicked absolutely amazing that a, a spaceship can be out there for 10 years people can spend their entire careers on it and as I say it's heading off to pick up a rendezvous with this comet and it's going to orbit the comet and eventually it'll be in August time, in November time it will attempt to land a probe and we're talking about 1990s technology and things have moved on in many ways certainly in terms of the communication bandwidth so it's probably the most audacious and probably the most exciting planned mission of 2014 so I'm really looking forward to how that works out anyway, I rabbit on so that was the, the good, the bad and the ugly and at least uh, I'm getting a podcast episode out. I just would like to thank people for keeping in touch with the podcast, particularly on the Passing Places podcast group. It's uh, really good how people are sharing information with each other and kicking me along. This uh, stuttering start to January hasn't been great, but I am committed to getting out and visiting as many places as possible in 2014 and trying to land the podcast on a regular basis each week, so bear with me on that basis. And also wanted to, I keep forgetting to mention the um, Amazon links, and I only just want to say this because, and thank you, I know a thank you to people who have bought, gone to the effort of buying things on Amazon after clicking the advert banners on my page, because I am getting affiliate income from Amazon, so if you're one of those people, I do really appreciate that. Thank you very much. So I'm pretty sure I'm getting back to uh, good health very quickly. What a a crazy two or three months. Never really been unwell in my life. And uh, I probably hit the the wet fields in Moffat too quickly. So I can feel this cough beginning to move. And uh, I'll get off somewhere this weekend. So stay in touch. Uh, please, please use that speak pipe voicemail if you can on the website. Send me a voicemail. Let me know how you're getting on and what you're thinking. And if you're planning to visit Scotland, 
let me know and I'll give you whatever advice I can or I'm sure other listeners on the podcast will give you their uh, advice and their information and in the meantime stay safe and I hope to meet you one day somewhere on your travels around Scotland I'll play it with Myra Green's music or composition Passing Places thank you (laughs) 